This teaching is brought to you by Christian Family Church International. I want to start by making this statement, and that is this. Your value is not attached to the way that you feel. And I think that's where many people fall short. Because we allow our feelings to take over us, to consume us, to drive who we see ourselves to be. And then maybe from that, after time, it festers and the thoughts grow and we begin to believe those thoughts to the point where we begin to make decisions and do things that we should not be doing to the point of even taking our own lives or other people's lives. And, and so uh, it's so important for us to understand the value that we play in this world. And, and as I said, your feelings have got no, uh, they don't determine your value. We cannot attach the two. They should not be together. And it is great when we feel great, of course. And, and we'll look for things. That's the problem. We'll look for things to help us feel better because it's when we feel better that we believe that we are better and that we mean more and that we are more valuable. But it's got nothing to do with that. And so I just declare even up front in this message that people that are battling with that, that those uh, uh, barriers and fences and walls and hedges and call them what you will, but whatever those strongholds are will be broken this morning as we hear the word of God and understand the value that we play in this life. Do not attach it to the way that you feel. I love the uh, quote that Pastor Theo made last weekend in the morning when he spoke about the importance of us understanding why we need to be born again. And you would think that that would be such a trivial subject, especially in a faith church like this. Why would we need to understand the importance or the need to be born again? But the truth that he spoke last weekend, if you were here in the morning, was so powerful and the simplicity of it was so moving and encouraging and, uh, and, and it built us up. And it was wonderful to hear the power of being born again. And he made this amazing statement. He was talking about religion. He was saying, we're not a religion. He was saying that we are born into a divine family. And I love that description. And he was using Romans chapter 8 when he explained that because the Spirit of God is the one who gives witness in our heart that we are the children of God. So I thought, wow, it's better than even saying, no, I'm not in a religion. I'm in a relationship. Uh, uh, we could say, no, I'm born into a divine family. Isn't it wonderful to know that? So praise the Lord. And I believe that this message is going to also change some thinking this morning as we understand our value in creation. Even though we were incapable of saving ourselves, and when you find yourself in that position, it means that you need to be rescued. When people need to be rescued, it's because they cannot save themselves. They cannot rescue themselves. They're in a desperate state, and they need to be rescued. That's why they have rescue operations. Otherwise, they would leave the people to help themselves or, or find a way out. But there is no way out. You need to be rescued. And so that's what God did. We were incapable of rescuing ourselves. And man, of all of the creation that God created, represents God's highest and His best. Why? Because we were made in His image and we were intended for His glory. That's what the Bible tells us. And the fact that it was Jesus' will, Apostle Theo mentioned this as well, it was His will to give His life for man's redemption, to redeem us, to bring us back to Himself. It was His decision to do that. This should give us an eternal insight into the worth of man from God's viewpoint. 
And in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, it says this. Know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things. That word corruptible jumped out at me when I read the scripture. And I thought, wow, that word corruptible, we were not redeemed with corruptible things. And I think it has two legs. Number one, corruptible things mean that they do not last forever. Their value is not eternal. And secondly, corruptible things can cause people to be corrupt. We were not saved by anything that had any corruption in it whatsoever, but we were saved, oh, and it says, like silver or gold. So it makes sense, right? Because that is corruptible, and it sure as it can corrupt. And it says, God says, but, uh, 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 and he says, you weren't saved from your aimless, unproductive, empty conduct received by the traditions from your fathers. So what they were pointing out here is they were saying there nothing that you, no tradition that you've been born into and that has been handed over to you from generation to generation is the thing that can save you. And in particular here, they were talking about Greek and uh, uh, Roman mythology and specifically the god uh, called Zeus, who was the god of lightning and thunder. He says you weren't saved from uh, uh, these traditions handed over uh, down to you by man. He says, but with the precious life blood or with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. You were saved with the life of the most perfect human being. He didn't have to give his life for you. Lord knows no one is prepared to give their lives for someone else or for a whole nation or a whole world. In that way, but he was, and he wasn't, in, he wasn't entitled to do it. I mean, he was the king of kings, really. And so, um, uh, so as I said, they were dealing with uh, uh, the people, and they were trying to dissuade them. They were trying to say to them, listen, you've got to stop trying to uh, uh, rely on the traditions that have been handed over to you. And it could be traditions of ways of thinking, or false gods that were being served, or, or an understanding that you have to earn your way uh, to be important and to be viewed by God and treasured by God. And, and um, you know, as I said, the, the Greek god of lightning and thunder, Zeus, they basically have to say to him, what did Zeus ever do for you besides cook up a storm? That's all that he could do. He was a fictional character. He says, but God who has always been alive, he is the one who is worthy to be served and worshipped and trusted. So with our value in mind, it is essential for our personal growth. And our personal relationship or relational development with God and man. So we need to understand from a biblical perspective the value of the individual both in God's sight and in our own sight. We have to understand our value in our own sight and in God's sight. Since God created us in his own image, he has invested immeasurable worth into each one of us, immeasurable worth. His quest for the redemption of sinful, fallen men is evident not only of God's love, but also of His wisdom in working to retrieve or to rescue, as I mentioned earlier, to rescue that which is of infinite value to Him. Let me, let me give you an illustration to help us just let this hit home. Imagine you had a daughter who, who came to you uh, and said to you, listen, Dad, can I go and sleep at Sally's house uh, tonight? Uh, we just uh, want to watch movies tonight, and we just want to chill and, and spill the tea. Uh, for, for those of you that are not so young, spilling the tea is a, is a very cool way of saying Skinner. Um, that's really what it is, right? 
So anyhow, uh, so you as the parents, are in, is that all you guys are doing? You're just going to watch movies, right? You guys are not going out. Uh, if that's the case, then yes, it's fine. And the next morning early, there's a knock at your door and the policeman tells you that they slipped out of the house last night. They went to a concert and in the parking lot, the two girls were kidnapped. Can you imagine having to deal with that? What will your first thought be? Will it be, well, you know what, Mr. Officer? I told them that she could only go and sleep there if they stayed at home and spilt that tea they were talking about and, and watched the movie. So they deceived me. They went out when they weren't supposed to. Serves them right. They must sort themselves out. Will that be your response? Of course not. That's not even the, the first thought in your mind. The immediate attention goes straight to, I need to rescue my daughter. I need to get my daughter back. And so we can look back in the Garden of Eden. There were God's children playing in the garden, and the devil came with his van of deception. He pulled into the Garden of Eden. He deceived them, got them into the back of the van, and pulled away and kidnapped God's creation. And God's first thought was, I need to rescue you. I need to get you back. How can I do that? And he had already had a plan in Jesus. But the point is this. Your value to him is so great that that was he. Back then already he decided I'm going to die for you to get you back. Even though you disobeyed me. Isn't that a wonderful God that we serve? Would you not consider yourself to be valuable? So let me talk to you just with a couple of points to help hit this home and make it a reality. This needs to become, this word needs to become a reality in our lives. The first one is man's vital value. Talking about understanding your value in creation. Man's vital value, Genesis 1, 26 through to 28. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. Then God blessed them. And he said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and the animals that scurry along the ground. Here's what I want to draw out of this portion of Scripture that we're all so familiar with. The nature in which man was created and the position in creation shows his vital worth. Because God required from man accountability and responsibility. He never, out of all of the, the, the creatures that he created, did he ever require any accountability or give any responsibility to any of his creation. Not even the ape. With his plausible thumb or whatever this thumb is that they want to keep debating. He only gave the responsibility and the accountability to man. Why? Because he loved us and he trusted us. We were made in his image. We were the only ones capable by his ability to do this. We were his children. When people entrust you with things and they make you accountable and they give you responsibility, they show faith in you. God values you that much to put you in charge, to give you responsibility, to make you in his own image. The second thing I want to say, I want to talk about is man's dominion. Say authority. Man's dominion over creation or his authority over creation. But I'm going to read now out of Psalm chapter 8, very similar to what we've just heard. 
verses 4 to 8, it says, what are mere mortals? The psalmist is thinking, what are mere mortals that you should think about them? He's not talking about all of the animals, just of mere mortals, that you should think about them. Human beings, that you should care for them. Yet you made them only a little lower than God. Wow. You really, really uh, value them and crown them with glory and honor. You gave them charge over everything that you made. Putting all things under their authority. The flocks and the herds and the birds and all of those things. He, uh, he talks about God caring for us. Our position just a little lower than God. Putting things under our authority. Giving us honor and glory. But our ability to fulfill our responsibility over the earth is dependent on our willingness to submit and serve the living God. He may see us that way, but we have to submit to God and serve God. Why? Because we only have authority over something when we are under authority. So even though God created us with all of this, we have to be submissive to His authority in order to operate in this authority that He gave us. And I take us to Matthew chapter 8, reminding us again of the Roman centurion. You remember Mr. Centurion? He came to Jesus on behalf of his very, very sick servant. And he asked him to heal him. And, and, and um, this Roman centurion understood what authority meant because he said to Jesus, you don't have to come to my house. But I want to focus on the fact that he was a military man and that he understood authority. And because of this understanding that he had of authority, Jesus said he had great faith. In James chapter 2, verse 7, it says, faith without works is dead. He could see that this man had faith because of the way that he operated in his authority. He was a centurion with authority. He knew very well that if he did not act on his authority, his rank would mean nothing. So God expects us to act on our authority. It's wonderful to hear that he's given it to us, but we've got to do something with it. Otherwise, it is useless. And, and when I was in the army back in 1993, I clawed in, in one side in Bloemfontein. I remember very clearly that I never, ever dealt with a superior who didn't understand his or her. Yes, there were ladies there as well. They were nasty. His or her authority. They all understood their authority. And when we clawed in, I clawed in with some seriously big guys, some serious Dutchmen. Boerusian, groot. Ek sê vir julle groot. And no matter how small, we had some small little corporals, single line corporals or striped corporals, double striped corporals, small guys with little high-pitched voices. But they had no problem telling these giants how bad their mother is and how terrible she dresses them. And they used to say the most terrible things to us because that's the idea is to break you down. But none of them cowered when they spoke to these guys. And they spoke to them like this. And it was no problem because they understood they had the authority to do that. They didn't say, listen, can you please pick up that stompy? They would tell you to pick up the stompy while they tell you how bad you are, how bad your mom is, how bad your dad is, how bad the way your hair is, and, and all sorts of things. That's how they would tell you. And they knew you would, even if it took you half an hour to bend down to pick up the stompy because you were so tall, they didn't care. You picked up the stompy. You didn't talk back. They had such 
authority because they were under authority. They knew they were placed in that position and they could react that way and there was nothing you could do but to obey their instruction. And so man has dominion and authority over creation. The third one is man's critical role in the affairs of the earth. The critical role that we play in the affairs of this world. It's actually quite astounding. The kind of influence that we have in this world. So let me use the scripture to show you that. Genesis 3.17. And, and, and to the man he said, Since you listened to your wife and ate from, those, uh, ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. The actions of man determined how the ground would function. The ground was cursed because of what man did. Do you see the kind of influence that we have in this earth? We have the ability to destroy this earth completely. No other creature has that ability. The world literally stands or falls on man's actions. Each, belie each believer has a strategic st significance to maximize the impact of good. I know that was not good, but we can also influence this world for the good. The same way that we could cause the ground to be cursed just because of something that we did, we can cause the ground to be blessed because of our obedience to the Lord. And acting out, uh, uh, you know, the fact that we are his children. Let me throw you with a couple of scriptures just to show you the kind of impact that man has on this earth. In Matthew 18, 19, Jesus said, If two of you agree here on earth concerning anything that you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. Mark 11, uh, in Mark 11, Jesus said, If you say to this mountain, in, um, in Luke 17, he says, If you say to this mulberry tree, it will obey you. It will be rooted up and it will obey you. Uh, he said in Joshua chapter 1 verses 4, uh, for all, what's a for all? Uh, Joshua chapter 1 verses 4, wherever you set foot, you will be on the land that I have given you. The impact that we have on this earth would not be possible if we did not carry this value and this authority. And remember, Jesus gave it back to us. In Matthew chapter 15, verses 34, it says, And if the blind leads the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. Can you see that uh, humanity can destroy humanity? Not only does it have an influence over the earth that we live on, but it has a huge. Man has the biggest influence on man. And so it, we play a critical role in the affairs of the earth. We're seeing that today on such a massive scale. How easily man can destroy man and land and infrastructure and children. There are atrocities that are happening at the moment. And it's not even about, it's not even about uh, um, uh, uh, race against race. There are even tribal issues in certain countries up in Africa. I forget the name of the country. But the, the whole country is in a civil war lock and has been for many years because of a tribal issue. And man can do, is doing a great job of destroying man. We have that ability to do that. That's why we pray for this country. We pray for this country because we have a critical role to play in the affairs of the earth. And so our prayers do not fall to the ground un, <coughs> without any power or influence. No, we have immense influence in this world. 
And when we come together on a Tuesday night and pray for South Africa, it is making a difference because man does have a critical role to play in the affairs of this earth. And when we pray by the power of the Holy Spirit, because we are of a divine family, what we're doing is divine. And, um, and, it, and it has an influence over what happens in this world. And we have to begin to see it that way. The fourth point I want to point out is the sacredness of life. I'll just quickly read here in Genesis 9. It's an interesting portion of Scripture. It says, uh, from verse 5 and verse 6, it says, And I will require, says God, the blood of anyone who takes another person's life. Okay? If a wild animal kills a person, that wild animal must die. And anyone who murders a fellow human must die. If anyone takes a human life, that person's life will also be taken by human hands. Now, I'm not here to debate whether we should be killing people who kill people and that sort of thing. That's not what I'm here to debate because much has happened since this was written. This was written to Noah when the, the ark rested on Ararat and all of humankind was gone. It was just eight people left. And God remembered, listen, in the early days when there was creation, in the early days, I remember what one brother did to another brother. So I know that they have the capability of wiping each other out, and there's only eight of them. I'd better tell them this is not good. And why does he say that? Look what the scripture ends with. For God made human beings in his own image. He values us, and that's why he has such a strong stance on killing people. That's why I believe this portion of scripture was written in just to preserve mankind because if it was problems so you need to understand that your life is sacred to God say that my life is sacred to God the next point is the unity of the unity of the human race why do we need to understand our value in creation? Because of the unity that God expects of the human race. In Acts chapter 17, verses 26, it says, From one man he made all the nations. From one man. God requires unity because that is how the human race was birthed, through one man. There was obviously unity that happened with that one man. He wasn't alone. Okay, So there the unity began, and it was through that unity that created the community. Hey, unity created the community. There's a nice little rhyme for you to remember. Unity created the community. It was God's design for us to uni be unified. And I'll read you here in Acts chapter 10. It says, um, then he said to them, Okay, so what happened here? Just real, a quick bit of context. Peter came to the house of Cornelius. Peter was a Jew. He was a born-again Jew, but he still uh, was bound by the Jewish law not to mix with other nations. That was embedded in him. Like I read right up front the first scripture where it comes from your fathers, these traditions. And, and God gave him this vision, and through this vision with the animals, and he must Ill eat them and all of that, uh, he realized that what God was saying is that he wasn't supposed to, there was no more division now that Jesus had come and died for all of mankind. This was his design. <clears throat> and so when Peter came into the house of Cornelius, he said, then he said to them, you know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation, but God has shown me that I should not 
call any man common or unclean. God was beginning to show mankind what his true design is and that every person has tremendous value in his sight and every person should see themselves as being tremendously valuable. You know why? Because prejudice would end up destroying mankind. And in verse 34, it says, God shows no partiality. Um, uh, You know, while society makes distinctions among people, God's love and His grace is available for all. And all can can be received by anybody. That's God's desire. The sixth thing that I want to tell you is that all believers are members of the body of Christ. And and, and in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12, God uses a metaphor (coughs) to explain that by telling us how important our bodies are. He says that every part of our body, look at your body. Do that. Just look. I want to see you looking at your body. Check out your body. He's saying every part of your body is, (coughs) they're they're different, but they're all part of one body. And he says that it is exactly the same with the the body of Christ. He says, that's how I see you. The same, irrespective of what nation you come from, irrespective of what tribe you come from. I see you as a valuable part of my body. That's how the body of Christ operates. And so, excuse me. And so, um, Paul, he had to address many problems uh, to the church of Corinth. This is who he wrote to because they were in a toxic environment, like bad. I mean, sexual immorality was rife in uh, in Corinth. It was hectic. And... um, You know, at least today they get a room, but back then they'd hoid it on the steps of the temple. And, um, and so it was hectic, and there was, uh, there was still idolatry and all sorts of things that were happening. And, and what they were trying to get through to these Corinthians that had now been born again is that since you've become born again, you are now part of God's family. There can be no schisms amongst you. Schisms talks about divisions and, and um, all of these words that uh, disparities and inequalities and so on. There can be none of that in the body of Christ. That's how God sees us. And he wants us to see it that way. And when we begin to see it that way, then we will begin to act differently. And that's ultimately what he's after. All believers are members of the body of Christ. The seventh point is love. Talking about our value in the body of Christ, love, the testing of discipleship. I like that. Love is the testing of discipleship. This is a powerful point. In John chapter 13, verses 34, it says, So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. What does he mean by that? He loved us unconditionally. He didn't care what we'd done in life, where we came from, what our color was, uh, the way we looked or anything, the way we spoke. He didn't care. He says, love each other just as I have loved you. Um, You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. The only way that you can prove that you're a disciple of God is to love people. Now, here's the thing that's going to hurt. Love is not a feeling or a preference, but a decision and a way of behaving. We have to do this intentionally. Love cannot be demonstrated without works. Just think about that. Love cannot be demonstrated without works. Even God understood that. In Romans 5.18 it says, But God demonstrated His own love for us in this. 
while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He demonstrated his love by sending Jesus. He could not just sit from heaven and say, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. He had to demonstrate his love. And we have to do the same. Look at what James says. He goes on, uh, <coughs> excuse me, James says this. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but you don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or a sister who has no food or clothing and you say, goodbye and, and have a good day and stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? He says, it says, yeah, so you see faith by itself isn't enough. We always think that faith with, with works is where we have to speak. You know, speak what we believe so that we can have it and so on. And we attach that to be our works. He's talking about if you declare yourself to be a child of God. He says that's not enough. You can't walk around saying you're a Christian. He says not enough. He says unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. That's powerful stuff. That's hectic. Now someone might argue. I'm still reading the Bible here. Now someone might argue some people have faith and others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith? In other words, how can you show me that you are a child of God if you don't have good deeds? He says, I will show you my faith by my good deeds. I will show you that I am a child of God through the way that I act, through the things that I do, through the way that I treat others, through the way that I show value to other people. That's how your faith, yes, you can give the Lord a praise. That's how your faith is demonstrated. In verse 26, it says, Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. You are not a Christian if you are not making a difference. Are you hearing me? That's what this is saying. At Christian Family Church, we create opportunities for you to demonstrate your love. You can do it through groups. How do you get to that? You contact the church. You can start on Growth Track. Growth Track is a simple way. It's a simple little journey, four hours long where you can discover things about yourself and about this church and where you can get plugged in and begin to serve the body of Christ. In effect, begin to demonstrate your faith. Your giving is a demonstration of your faith. Trust me, God sees that when you give. And I'm talking about when we give in the offerings and that sort of thing. That is a work. That is a demonstration of the fact that we love and believe that we are disciples of Jesus. But I'm urging you to get in touch with the church. If you're on growth track, stay on growth track. It's called the track. Stay on track. You know, a train that doesn't stay on the track is not a very good train. And then if I can also mention Bible college, because in Bible college, man, if you think that these words that are being spoken out of the word is good, you'll learn so much more about this, your value, your importance. Our theme in first year is to cultivate, cultivate intimacy with God through personal relationship. So we deal a lot with this in Bible college, and we're already open for pre-registration. And while I'm talking about Bible college, I think it would be good for me to say that we just scooped up our fourth international award last week in Dubai you know we're accredited internationally and this accrediting body looks after or accredits 1,300 different educational institutions around the world and guess what award we scooped up listen the award was for our duty of care to inclusivity and diversity 
Well, that just shows that we're doing exactly what God requires of us at Bible College. Amen. It shows that He is involved. His hand is on this Bible College. Amen. Come on, students. His hand is on this Bible College. And finally, let me close with this. Christ mandates social concern. He mandates it. He expects that of us. Talking about our value in the body of Christ, he mandates social concern. God expects us to have a sense of community, to be sensitive to the importance of community. In Matthew 25, it says, then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes to clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go and visit you? And the king will answer and say, the king will answer and say, in as much as you did this to the least of these or to the least of mine, his children. Inasmuch as you have done it to the least of mine, you have done it to me. Remember, we are a part of the body of Christ. We have value in this life, and so does every member of the body of Christ have value. So much so that Jesus himself accepts whatever we do to the least of his, he believes it's been done to him. And he will reward you for doing things that you didn't even know there were rewards for. If you begin to behave with the sense of value, not only the value that you carry in the body of Christ or in all of creation, but if you begin to value the others too, if we begin to see the value in people and in ourselves and treat them with respect and dignity and serve them, not expecting anything in return, you will receive stuff in return. I'm letting you know that. I know I've given a cup of cold water to more than one person in my life. Thank the Lord. You see, concern for the hungry and the homeless and the diseased and the imprisoned cannot be divorced from our Christian walk. In James chapter 1, verses 27, it says, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by this world. Wow. Wow, to look after widows and orphans and to keep yourself from being polluted by this world. In those times, the widows and the orphans, when they got to that state where they were a widow and an orphan, they were left either to sell themselves as slaves or to starve. Those were the choices. And God says, and, and, and to keep yourself being, from being polluted, what does it mean to be polluted by the world? It simply means to think only about yourself. When you begin to think like that, then you are polluted by the world because all the world can do is this. Just think about itself. I just think about all of the influences and how important it is for them to be recognized. And it's just a, it's an ugly thing. So he mandates our social concern. You see the tremendous value that God places on people. Every human is a treasure, a unique personality, and an, an extremely necessary. Say that I am extremely necessary. In Galatians 5:17, there is this 
reminder for us that the desire of the flesh is against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another. Why did I choose to put the scripture in this uh, message? Because I wanted to remind us that there will always be war between our flesh and our spirit. Remember God, we are part of a divine family. God sees us as one in the spirit. But while we are here on the earth, stuck in these things, these fleshly bodies, it's easy for us to forget sometimes to value people. And it's easy for us to go on a tangent in our minds when we begin to think that we are in, we, we messed up somewhere. Maybe you took all the money uh, for the month and you went and gambled it out and now there's no money for food at home. Maybe you, you, you started a habit and it's, it's consuming all of the finances. Your behavior around the house has changed and, and your kids don't want to be around you and there's just strife in the home all the time. And, and, and maybe, uh, you know, maybe you're sitting here in this auditorium or you're watching from online and you're thinking you've thought about taking your life. You've thought about taking your life more than once and it's, it was a long time ago and, and it seems to be coming back again because you feel like you don't have any value because it feels like your contribution is not recognized or that you can't make a contribution because whatever it is that you did will never be repaired. I'm here to tell you today that you are valuable in God's eyes and you are valuable in the eyes of a believer. You have to be valuable in the eyes of a believer. It's a mandate from God. And not only that, He would never expect you to do what you can't do because He said, and Pastor Andre spoke about it last week, He said that He, he um, tells us what we need to do, but He gives us the desire to do them. This is in Philippians chapter 2. And so God gives you the ability to love the way that He wants us to. He gives you the ability to see people as valuable. He gives you that ability, but the flesh will always be at war with the Spirit. And sometimes we fail as Christians in that area. I'm not going to lie to you. There was someone that I used to try and avoid. I have to be honest with you that I used to avoid at a certain garage because whenever I came there, he was there. And then I would have to go into the garage and buy him things. And I did that a number of times, but you know, I, uh, I, I didn't do it every time that I was there because the garages are expensive, you know. Anyhow, so then I would, but I never wanted to give this person money because, uh, I, you know, you never know what, the, what they might end up doing with the money. And, and anyhow, I learned when I went to the garage just uh, a week ago, not even a week ago, I learned that three weeks ago he died. And I thought, well, Jesus, he was born again. I know that he was born again and saved. But sometimes I wouldn't go to that garage because I, I didn't want to have to deal with that as well. So I'm showing you that sometimes we fail as people. We do. But God forgives us. He loves us. And we just have to make an effort to keep moving forward. That's why we have messages like this. I want to ask every head to be bowed and every eye to be closed right now, please. If you are here this morning and, uh, and every head is bowed and eyes closed, if you're the, here this morning and you feel like, Paul, I am that person, I feel like I have zero value. I feel like people don't see me. I feel like they don't care about me. I don't see me. I don't care about me. I feel that what I've done is unfixable. It's such a scrambled egg. It can never be fixed. I don't think my family loves me anymore. I don't, I don't think they want me anymore. I'm living in a room behind someone's house because things have just gotten really bad at home and I 
and I feel like I look at myself and I think, you know what, tonight's the night I'm going to take that belt or that tie and I'm going to end it. If that's you tonight or this morning, just stand right now. If no one's looking around, just stand. I want to pray with you. I believe that the presence of God is here to free you right now. So I'm going to ask you just to stand where you are. I don't even want you to come to the front. Just stand where you are. If you feel like you're not loved, if you feel like me, where you have been avoiding people because you just don't have the time or they don't smell good and you don't want to be around them, whatever the case is. If that's you, I'm asking you to stand. Let me pray with you and let God make a change in you. He's the one that wants us to do this. Thus, He is the one that has to give us the ability to do so. So if there's anyone else, you can stand. I'm going to pray right now. Father, I thank you for every single person that has has stood. It's a bold statement to stand right now, Father. And I pray in the name of Jesus, just as this word has been delivered, Father, that number one, they would understand their value in your creation, that they would understand that you do not despise them, you do not condemn them, even though they may have done things that they shouldn't have, even though they drove their own family away, even though they have uh, walked on the other side of the curb because they wanted to avoid someone, whatever the reason, Father, you don't condemn them. You love them. And this message this morning was to tell them I love you. And I don't want you to worry about that. All I want you to know is that you are valuable and I'm going to give you the ability to break those strongholds right now in the name of Jesus. So I pray, Father, you set them free right now. Those at home that are battling with us, I pray that they're set free in the name of Jesus and that you will give them a desire to get involved. Allow them, Father, to, to break free from the lethargy that is just keeping them back and let them get involved and begin to show their faith by loving others. I pray this in the name of Jesus. And I thank you that every person is forgiven in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, with every head still bowed and every eye still closed, I want to speak to those that are sitting here this morning and watching online who've never made, uh, who've never given your life to Jesus. I'm talking to you this morning about your value in creation, but you've never had an opportunity to actually meet the creator. I spoke to you about Jesus and it was his desire to die on the cross for you because you are of so much value to him. Like a, like a, 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 a kidnapped child, maybe you feel like you're a kidnapped child. Jesus has rescued you, dearest a, a child. He has rescued you. And so this morning, if you want to give your life to Jesus, if you want to say, yes, thank you for rescuing me, you know that one part of the rescue operation is when that Navy SEAL stretches out his hand and says, grab my hand. This is what's happening right now. Jesus is stretching out his hand and saying, grab my hand. I don't expect anything from you. I don't want to, I don't, there's nothing I need from you. Just grab my hand. That's all. Take the gift of life that I'm giving you. And so if that's you this morning, you want to give your life to Jesus, or you want to come back to Jesus, or maybe you're not sure where you're going to go if you should die, and you want to be sure that you will go to heaven, then I'm going to invite you to raise your hand at the count of three. One, two, three. Raise your hand right now, and I'm going to pray with you. Thank you for those hands. Thank you. Thank you. Here's my urge to you, family of God. My urge to every one of you, do not leave this building not knowing where you will spend eternity. My daughter was telling me about a friend of hers, mom, who was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. I'm not saying that's going to happen to you, but just listen to this. She was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Guess how long it took before she died? From the time she heard she had pancreatic cancer, three weeks and she was gone. Three weeks. And so we don't know what tomorrow holds. And therefore, I'm asking if there's anyone else, I'm asking you to raise your hand right now. One, two, three, raise your hand. Amen.
Amen. We have some workers that are coming, going to come, leaders that are going to come and just place their hand on your shoulder. I think they've already done that. We want to pray with you. And uh, it's simple. Jesus said, or God said, that if you confess my son, uh, Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my father. So it's just a simple prayer that I'm going to pray with you. And your entire eternity is about to change. So I want to ask everybody to say this together with me. Those at home as well, let's say this. Say, dear Heavenly Father, this morning, I thank you so much that you care for me so much that you sent Jesus, your son, to come and rescue me because I cannot rescue myself. This morning, I declare Jesus is the son of God. I believe he died for me and that he was risen from the dead on the third day. And Lord Jesus, I take your hand. I surrender my life to you right now. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us during this episode of Living Life with Dr. Theo and Bev Volmerantz. We hope that through this inspired teaching, you had an encounter with God. If you enjoy the teaching ministry of Apostle Theo and Dr. Bev Volmerantz and would like to enjoy more resources, we hope you will visit our website at www.christianfamilychurch.co.za or for our American listeners, www.christianfamilychurchsa.com. Thank you.